does because you can buy your lunch and do all kinds of stuff with that. Yeah. All right. So here we go. Um, I need the, yeah. Okay, good. Oh, thank you. All right. So I want to welcome you to our series, and the series name is Empowered. And usually about this time, what I'd be doing is I'd be telling you how what we're doing is, is that we're watching how Jesus discipled his disciples in Luke because we're his disciples and he's going to disciple us the same way. And we've been seeing for eight chapters and over a year now that that is absolutely true. Now, the thing that I want you to, the thing that I want to do today though is I don't want to go down that path. I want to go down the one that's underneath how Jesus discipled. And I want to say what we're really doing is is we're learning how to be like Jesus in all things. One of them is this empowered aspect, and that's the one that we're focusing on, and there's a reason for it, but bottom line is that's what we're focusing on for a season here as God is trying to equip us to become more like him, who said, greater works than these will you do. That's what he said to us, right? So we're learning what that means because it's not true, evidently, in our lives. Now, when we look at how Jesus did this, there's a very important thing to note. When did Jesus get the Holy Spirit? When did Jesus have the Holy Spirit in his life for the first time? When was it? It was at his birth. It was at his conception, right? Because the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary and creates a new kind of being in her. And when he is born, he's got the Holy Spirit from birth, and you see evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in the way that he's growing up, the wisdom and so on that he has when he's in the temple and so on. But the bottom line is, now watch this. Look at this. Jesus, when we think about what Jesus came to do, most of us would say he came to minister, right? Came to reconcile and so on. But you do realize he didn't do any ministry until he was 30 years old. Any. And at 30 years old, he gets baptized in the Holy Spirit when he's baptized in the Jordan by John. The, the Holy Spirit comes down as a dove and resides on him, stays. And then what happens is from then on, he ministers. So you see the pattern. He has the Holy Spirit borning him again or borning him for the first time. And then he has the Holy Spirit come upon, empowering him to do the work of the ministry. So who did the ministry? Jesus no, he emptied himself of his godly attributes that he might walk as you and I. And so God is strongly trying to set this pattern of him doing the ministry. In fact, it's so strong that he reiterates the, the whole pattern with the disciples, right? When do they get the Holy Spirit? Is it the day of Pentecost? No. After Jesus has died and now he's paid for their sins... They're in that upper room scared for fear of the Jews, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up in their midst. They're afraid. He says, no, don't be afraid. And then he says, peace, and he breathes on them. The same God who breathed on a lump of clay and made Adam, the same God who overshadowed Mary and created a new being, breathes on these guys and makes them into new creatures, borns them again, right? I say that awkwardly to try and get it to stick. That's where they have the Holy Spirit inside. And for 40 days, they are with Jesus with the Holy Spirit inside. But then Jesus says this weird thing to them. You would think, Holy Spirit inside, you should be able to minister from that, right? But what happens is, is that Jesus says while he was together with them, this is at 40 days, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, 
but to wait for the Father's promise. This is what you heard from me. John baptized with water. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, which is to say empowered. There's a total synonym, baptism of the Holy Spirit, empowered, total synonyms. And when that happens, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is near, and Judea, which is a little further out, and Samaria, which is a little further out, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. See it? So what he's saying, this is the same exact pattern, right? Now, what happens? Ten days later, they're praying. Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost. And by the time Peter is done talking, 3,000 people have been saved. 3,000 people, see? Now, again, I want to ask you the question. So who's doing the ministry? Let me, let me, let me rephrase it. Who's doing the outreach? Who's the one who's actually saving people? It's the Holy Spirit, right? It's God who's actually saving people. Jesus himself says, no one can come but what the Father draws him. You cannot come unless the Father draws. So you can try and save somebody all you want, but you're not going to be successful. The only one who can be successful is the Holy Spirit. Now, if that's true then why, when we think about evangelism and outreach, is the primary emotion that people feel fear? <laughs> That's the primary emotion that people, when I say outreach, and what I mean by it is you talking with somebody else about Jesus and trying to bring them to the Lord, the vast, the, the number one emotion, even in people that like this stuff, <laughs> there's Fear. And if I, if I were to do a show of hands, it would be 80% of the people would raise their hands and the other 20% are lying, okay? That's not true, of course, but, you know, it's funny, right? So what the heck? But 80% but of the people would raise their hands and say, yeah, when I think about trying to lead my friend or a coworker, a family member, a neighbor, some, when I tr if I think about trying to do that, what enters my heart is fear. I, I'm not, I don't know enough. Right? I just, how do, I don't know what to do. I don't have any idea what to do. Well, if you're not the one doing it, and God is doing it through you. He does know what to do, right? So the idea is, is that you, it doesn't matter how much you know. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to be experienced. You don't have to be anything. You know the one thing you have to be? Present. <laughs> right? If you don't go, it's blessed are the feet of those who bring the good news. So you got to go. you got to stand in front of the person, be willing to talk to them. Be willing to let the Lord do whatever he wants to do through you. Right? And it's not about whether you're going to look like a fool. It's not about whether or not you're going to be embarrassed. It's not about any of the other things that go through our mind when we think about, I can't possibly do this. You know, Kurt, you do this. Or I'll bring him to church and that'll get him saved. Or whatever. Right? Fear. That's what we think of when we think of evangelism and outreach. That's not what we think of. It. That's what our reaction is. That's what happens in our gut. Fear. Well, what if? What if? What if God has something so totally different in mind about what outreach actually is? That when you think of outreach and you're, all the things that you think about that cause fear, what if God has such a different idea in mind about what outreach is that you would think, well, that's just the easiest naturalist, that's just piece of cake. No problem. What if not only would you think that's just totally natural and easy, what if you could get to the place to where you went when you heard outreach, when you thought about reaching out to a friend in a personal way, what if went off in your heart was, oh boy, 
What if that's the coolest thing? What if what went off and just automatically, I don't, mean, I don't mean faking it, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I mean for reals in your heart, what goes off is, is oh, this is the best. What if God can get you there? To where every time we even think about it, it's not only completely natural, but you want it with all your heart. Well, that's what we're going to try and get you today. This is a perfect person to pray for this. John Elkoski was just up here praying. He's an elder of this church. This is a man who, who just carries an anointing and wisdom. He is helping the church out, just being a blessing as he sort of oversees really the whole church and the whole nine yards. Just an amazing man of God, a great friend. I'm so thankful that I've gotten to know you in my life, John. Love you. So thanks for praying for the service, praying for another church too. Lord, we just thank you that, that you have a word for us today. And Lord, that you have prepared Kurt. And Lord, I, I look forward to this, this um, sermon today, Lord, that the words that would be coming, that would make it fun, that would make it uh, in, uh, enjoyable, would be a, a natural um, way to just uh, allow you to move through each one of us. So Lord, I pray for a release of your Holy Spirit today to um, remove all the distractions and to allow us to focus and to be able to hear everything that you're trying to communicate through Kurt. And I pray for Kurt, Lord, that, that he would um, uh, just be uh, just flowing in your Holy Spirit today. Amen. And uh, yes, he's prepared, but Lord, I, I ask that, that he would um, take whatever you have given him, but if it changes in the course of the conversation today, Lord, that he would be willing to do Amen. that. Amen. And Lord, I pray, uh, so I thank you for what we're going to hear today, and I just pray that uh, what's happening in um, Eastside Foursquare would be Amen. your Holy Spirit moving again Amen. as well. And Amen. we're just going to give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. Awesome. All right, now. We are in our mini-series, as I've been calling it, because we've got the big series empowered, and then we're doing these little mini-series as we go. Excuse me. And the one, so pull this out. This should be sitting on your chairs. It's in the future. It'll be under your chair seat, uh, but that's okay. It's in your hands, and we're trying to fix the problem that we had last week when, when there was a few pass-out problems, all right? People were passing out. I don't know. All right. So here's the deal. Pull this out, Okay. Now, you'll notice it's a little different color than the blue one that you saw earlier, okay? It's also some different wording. There's some different concepts, as the Lord has been doing the incredible things that he's been doing in the sermons in this. We've been updating this little brochure, and this will be something that we'll have around for the foreseeable future and to give to people. If, they, if you want to know what Lake Sam is about, this is what we're about. These are the essentials. These are the things that we're really going after with everything that we've got because we've found that a Christ-centered life has these things in it, okay? And so we're going after how you do these things and how you enter into them and so on. So if you have one of the older blue ones that we passed out at the beginning of this series about a month ago, then feel free to just throw that away and take this and please just keep this with you, okay? This is something you can give to somebody else, this is so on, but just take this with you, okay? All right, now as you may have noted already, the one that we're doing is the one on the back side, the last one, Outreach. Now, it's not the last one. It's the one that everything flows to. If you'll look at our, you see the images up here, like you see the banner, and you see how it kind of has an arrow and a flow? That's supposed to communicate that there's a movement going on. And this movement is towards outreach. 
Okay, it's towards touching and reaching and making a difference in people's lives. Okay, so that's what we're trying to communicate with that. And here we go on outreach. Now, I told you that an amazing thing took place, and you've been watching it happen week after week, and that is, I think it was back in like May, we said, look, I feel like we're supposed to do essentials in, we didn't even call them that at that point in time, but I feel like we're supposed to redo this thing about what the main things are, and we're supposed to do that at the beginning of this year as a sort of the starter point and so on. And I didn't even have any idea that at that point in time that we would be in chapter 9 or that we would be at the beginning of this master's class as we've been talking about up through chapters 1 through 8, what we've looked at already had to do with watching, seeing, and learning. That's college. But now the disciples from chapter 9 on are out there doing, and they're learning from that, and they're growing. And so I had no idea that we would be there. I had no idea about any of this. And we thought we would be doing all these as sort of long announcements. But when we got to the place, we had them already. You have to understand, we had them in order. The order that we're doing them now. We didn't change the order at all or anything. We said, this is the way that we want to roll them out. These are the dates we want to roll them out on. And then I just went and looked just to see if maybe the scriptures might line up. And I think you've been seeing line up is, would be a gray, gross understatement for the way that God has synchronized what he was leading us to do back in May and the place in the word that we are now. And that, by the way, would be a lot what we were talking about last week with Devos. God will be speaking to you what he wants to speak to you where you are in the word. So with that in mind, I want you to see how much this is true because here we are at Outreach and look at where we are in Luke. Okay? Now, remember last week, just a second. Last week, I started off, uh, we talked about devos and it was, you know, Jesus going off to pray and so on and then we did a devo on this section where they said, who do people say that I am? Well, you're this and you're that, you're this and you're that. Who do you say that I am? Messiah. Now, at the end of that now, that, now that they have said that, and it was Peter in particular that said, you're Christ on the living God. Now that that has been said, Jesus says something that's incredibly important. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He'll be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed. But on the third day, he'll be raised from the dead. Now, I want to make it clear. That sounds like very bad news. If you're one of these Jewish people who thinks Messiah is to be the king to throw off the hated, oppressing Romans, to hear that the guy that you're following is going to be killed is not good news, is it? And yet, this is the gospel right here for the very first time. This is the first time that Jesus is communicating the gospel. What does gospel mean, by the way? Good news. Wait a minute, how's the good news that he's being killed? Well, it's real simple. Why did God make us? Why? That fellowship with us. Relationship. That's exactly it, right? God made us because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were enjoying this relationship. He wanted to make more to enjoy that relationship. But there's a really big key to a, a relationship. If you're in a compelled relationship, is it a true relationship? <laughs> I mean, it's a relationship on a technical level, but is it the kind of thing that we think about when we say a good relationship? If it's compelled Master-slave, for example. Right? That's not good. So what God did was he gave it genuine free will. He said, look, I've made you to be with you. If you don't want to be with me, just eat of that tree. That's not quite how he said it, right? He said, don't eat that tree because in the day that you do, what's going to happen? You're going to die. Let me, let me rephrase that. You're going to be separated from me who is life, the one who made you. 
And so we did that. We chose to go our own direction. And ever since Adam and Eve did that, we have proven that we are the children of Adam and Eve. Why? Because whether you know the Lord or not, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you can totally testify to this too. And every person who does know the Lord knows this for certain, which is at least once, and something more on the order of one billion times, you have chosen to go your own direction instead of the one that you knew God was leading you to do. Now, if you don't know the Lord, I'm just saying you've chosen to go the way that you knew you weren't supposed to go. You had something in you that was telling you to go that way, and you said, yeah, but there's something else in me that wants to go this way, <laughs> right? So you went that way, and in so doing, you separated yourself from God. You chose free will. You chose to separate yourself, and you became separated. Now, here's the good news that's in that statement right there that they don't understand yet. They won't understand it until after he dies and resurrects and does what he does. But what happens, what's being said right there for the very first time is God himself, Jesus, the Messiah, son of the living God, is going to come down and he's going to allow he who has been eternally one with Father and Holy Spirit is going to allow some sort of separation. Now watch this. So that he can cross over the divide between us. He took upon himself what was due us, separation, and in so doing, he has come over to where we are, and he has taken upon himself all of what was due us. But the cool thing about Jesus going over there was, it wasn't his own choice, it was God's. Everybody else chose to go someplace different than God. Jesus chose to obey God, even though it meant separation. And in obeying God, he couldn't be separated from him. So for, in some fashion, he was separated, and now anybody who wants to receive him is brought back into relationship with him as Jesus comes back into relationship with him. Why? Because he didn't do anything to separate himself. <laughs> he only obeyed God. Yes, the sin came upon him, and yes, he was separated, but when he comes back, anybody who wants to receive what Jesus did comes back with him. That's just, that's the gospel, Right? That is the good news that we're supposed to take and, and praise God and say hallelujah to the whole world about, right? So here it is right here, outreach. This is the message that we are carrying, what those words right there mean, that he's going to be killed and raised again. Now, watch how he does it as he goes into the passage for today. He said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your ways, going your way, your selfish ways. You must turn from going that direction, and you must take up your cross daily and follow me. What does take up your cross mean? Real simple, what does it mean? Two things, actually. What's the first thing it means? Die. <laughs> die, right? What, what, what take up your cross daily means is die to yourself, right? But there is something more to taking up your cross than just dying, isn't there? What is Jesus' cross all about? Reconciliation. He's dying for someone else. He's giving up his desires, his agenda, his plan, what he wants to do in order that he might do what God wants him to do. And what does God want Jesus to do? Save people. <laughs> That's what the cross is about. It's not just dying to self. It's dying to self in order to save. Do you see it? I mean, you think this is about outreach? 
It gets worse. Watch this. Look, if you try and hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. If you give up your life for my sake, you're going to save it. Now watch this. And what, and, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? If you go your own way and you totally succeed and you get everything that you wanted, what does it gain you to get everything that you wanted but lose yourself? Right? What does it gain you? It's a temporary thing, and then for eternity, it's separation. Watch this. It, gets, it goes even deeper on the outreach. Watch the way that Jesus is doing this. It's so amazing how Jesus does what he does, how he communicates. I, I want you to, well, here, watch. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, what's the message? That you're a sinner. Sorry, I wasn't looking at you. That you're a sinner. <laughs> I always do that, and I feel so bad. It is true, though. Yeah, you are. Me too. <laughs> All right. It's ashamed of me and my message that you need a Savior, and that Jesus is that Savior. If anybody's ashamed of that message, the Son of Man be ashamed of that person when he returns in glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Now watch this. I want you to see how precise Jesus is in the way that he talks. Here's, here's what we, when we read that, here's what we think he means. If anyone rejects me and my message, then I'll reject him, right? If you don't receive me as Lord, then I won't be your Lord. That's what we read when we read that, right? But that's not actually what it says, is it? It certainly means that. It certainly has that meaning in it. But Jesus used a weird word. He didn't say reject. He said ashamed. What's ashamed mean? Embarrassed. I'm not, when, I, when I said that we all have fear when we look at saving people, that's not ashamed of the gospel. That's fearful because I'm thinking about myself. Well, wait a minute. What I was told to do is not think about myself. I was told to do something quite different than that. I was told to take up my cross, die to myself, my fears, what I, all of this kind of stuff. If you really start parsing this word and start understanding it, he used a word which moves more towards fear than rejection. It's still not there. Like if you're so afraid that you never talk to anybody about Jesus Christ, are you still going to be saved? Yes. You know what you will do? You'll be in heaven and God will show you all the opportunities that he gave you to reach out, that he would have moved through you and done incredible things that would have changed the course of their life and yours. Now, I don't think any of that's actually really going to happen, but I'm telling you, that when, we says, when it says that we suffer loss, I think we do see what was possible. And I think we suffer loss. I think we just know instantly the difference between the life that we led and the life that he had. Isn't that right? Are you saying no for a reason? You, want you can speak up if you want. Go ahead. Well, there is to wipe away the tears. Now, that can be from the people that are suffering beforehand. But there is that moment where every person's tested, right? Every person goes through that fire. And it does say that if you did something out of your own self, you suffer loss. It does say that. So I agree with you ultimately. But there's a moment of understanding. There's a moment of something there that the Scripture is speaking to. I just want to, and I want to, what I want to say about the language is ashamed is the right word because it's not, it's not a salvation issue. 
But there is something to, I was too embarrassed, I was too fearful, I was too this, I was too that. And the shame starts moving towards this. But now watch this. You could look at this of Jesus saying, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. But I want you to read it in an entirely different spirit. Here's what it is. Remember, they've just gone through a college experience, right? And they've just started their master's program. And here's what Jesus is doing. Let me state plainly. He's giving them an out. Count the cost of the tower. If you think it's going to be happily ever after, it isn't. You've got to die to yourself. There's going to be a valley of the shadow of death. You've got to die to yourself in order to actually follow me. You see what he's doing? He's saying to the disciples in a very loving way, this is not going to be easy. <laughs> you're going to be in all kinds of situations that you don't want to be in. You're going to be in places where you fear for a hundred different reasons and you don't feel qualified for and, you, and you're nervous and how they're going to think about you and there's all kinds of things going on. And what he's trying to do, he's telling them right here at the get-go, he's laying that foundation for their entire master's programs to say, understand, this isn't happily ever after. This is a journey that has a real cost across. And I need you to die to yourself, and I need you to pick up the ministry of that cross, which is reconciliation, the message of it. And the cool thing is, is Jesus always ends stuff just like, well, here. I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. Judas is standing right there right now, and he dies. But he's saying to the other guys, he's, he's not going, you have to do this, and, or you're a bad Christian. <laughs> he's saying, oh, do this because it's so cool. <laughs> do this because if you do this, it is like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> the thing, when you get outside of yourself and you really get to where God wants you to be, there is just, you, you know, we all have glimpses of that. I hope everybody has had glimpses of that. And, and, and I would like to say that I can experience it more. I don't. I'm always shifting back and forth between the two. But the bottom line is, is boy, when you get it and you, and you know that it's God going through it and you know that you sacrificed, you know that you gave up something, and then God comes and ministers through you, there's nothing better. So... I want us to think for a second. The first thing that we said in the introduction was, is we said that the first thing you have to understand in order to start to get a new understanding about outreach and, and evangelism is in God's eyes. The first thing that you have to do is you have to understand it's not you. It's not about you. He's the one that does it. Now that should give you peace. That should give you, that should take some of the nervousness out of you. It doesn't in a practical sense. Why? Because we think, yeah, but in the end, I'm still the one talking to them. And in the end, if, they, if, if I screw up or if I don't do it right or whatever, if they reject somebody, they're rejecting me too. They may be rejecting you, God, but I'm in the line of fire. And they're going to call me stupid and they're a coworker, and that may not be good for me professionally. Or they're a very good friend and it may ruin our friendship. I'm in the line of fire. How do we get to another place then? How do we get to another place to where God is doing something in evangelism and outreach that is totally different than what we think? Alright? What's the most fundamental thing there is about God? What's the most fundamental truth that there is about Him? Go ahead. What? That's really good. 
can we skip over that as if you didn't say that one? <laughs> I mean, somebody might say creator. Somebody, I'm going to give you the one that I think is the most fundamental thing other than the one that you just said. He's three personhoods in one being. That's a revelation that comes only with Christ that nobody knew before. That was a mystery hidden until Christ is revealed. That he's three beings, three personhoods in one being. And in theology, what we call that is we say, it turns out he's a social being. See, when you think of God before there was any kind of creation, what do you think of? God alone, right? Just sort of what, like floating out in black, right, you know? But it turns out he was never alone. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in relationship for eternity. He's always been in relationship. And when he makes us in his image, says social beings. There's other things that being made in his image means, but one of the primary ones that we have to understand that we don't understand is he makes us social beings. Relationship. Tell me. If you're the biggest, world's biggest introverts, do you if you're the world's biggest introvert, do you still have a friend? You don't have very many. But you know what? Here's the irony of introverts. The friends that they have are usually better friends than the friends that extroverts tend to have. Right? The introvert goes deep. That's what God made us to be. Do remember... When he made us in his image, the first thing that he said about us after he'd said everything was good, the first thing that he said about us was, is he said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Now understand something, he wasn't alone, he was with God. And that's the relationship that God wanted, so why wasn't that enough? Because if that's the only relationship that was open to Adam, there's a certain amount of compulsion in it. You see it? If, if, if like you were made to be social and there's only one other person you can be social with, then, you know, right? <laughs> Whether you like it or not, you get along or try. You see it? When he says it's not good that he should be alone, one of the things he's saying is I made him to be social and there's a problem that comes out in the second phrase. I'll make a helper who's just right for him. See, in the end, even though God created us in his image, we're, he's still Geppetto and we're still Pinocchio. Even though we've been animated and come to life, we're still not Geppetto, are we? So God makes a whole bunch of other Pinocchios. that we can be with in relationship and notice something we can be with them so much that we'll stop being with him it turns out the thing that he created for us to have to give us what he made us to be which is social can be the very thing that pulls us away when I was in graduate school and I was doing drama I did theology first and then I was trying to figure out how to communicate the good news to an audience that didn't know Christ and I got in, I was really, I went over to the communications department to work on philosophy because I wanted to understand it philosophically and I wanted to talk to people philosophically. And I just happened to take a class on drama and God made it clear to me that I just happened to do something that he wanted me to do. And that what he wanted me to do was to communicate in this way and to learn how to communicate in this storytelling way. And to this day, I still use what I learned in there. It's one of the most important things I ever learned, how to tell a story. 
for real. Now, one of the plays that I wrote that actually was, it, you just, you know, I, can't, I don't even have it anymore, so if you ask me for it, I'm not going to send it to you because I probably can find it, but I'll be embarrassed. But it was a really short play about Adam, who's only in relationship with God, and how much he's loving God and interacting with him and everything else. And then God, out of this thing that he does, creates another thing for him. And all of a sudden, Adam is like, nice. But he's still with God, but really nice. He's still with God, but really, really nice. Did he catch a drift? This very thing that God gave him became the very thing that pulls you from him. See it? Get distracted. What's important to God? That you be in some compelled relationship that he never gives you any opportunity to go your own way? No, he's already proved that from the garden on. He's always giving us something that can pull us away. But if we do it right, it not only will not pull us away, it'll bring us into a deeper place with him. Anybody ever been in a marriage where you went to a place that was difficult between the two people in the marriage? <laughs> Let me change it around. Anybody ever been in a place where you never had a big issue with your spouse? <laughs> and that's, you got to be married over a week. <laughs> a week is enough. Okay? But you know what it's like. You know what happens, right? You get to a certain place where there is this estrangement that happens. When, you, when you're in honeymoon, when you're in, when you're in marriage time, when you're in first dating time, you're one and there's never going to be any problems, right? You're completed, man. You know, it's awesome. And then you wake up one day and discover that there's something more going on and it's a little more problematic and, you know, but then have you ever worked through that to the point that not only did you come back into relationship with them in a real way, a good relationship. But you actually found a place of oneness with them that went beyond what you had before. And it happened because of the division. Shakespeare says, is it better to love of the lost or have they never loved at all? I want to say, was it better that we should have never fallen or not? I honestly think that the answer is it's better that we fell. And that's not, you can get in some bad theology very quick with that statement. But do you understand? There's something about coming to know the preciousness of the need. There's something that's, under, that's important about coming to understand how important this relationship is to you. Because having had it and enjoyed it and then having lost it, oh my gosh, that's horrible. Right? It's better for the person, well, anyway, that's, I'm going too deep. Watch, this is the way Jesus says it. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. This is Jesus' final prayer. What's important? The last thing that he says. The last thing that he says is what everything was about. <laughs> this is the summation statement. I want them to be one just as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, that they may be in us, and then the world will believe that you sent me. You see what he's saying? He's saying, look, I want them in relationship, oneness with you and I. I want them in oneness with one another, and when that happens, it'll also bring in the world to this oneness that I created them to have. This is what I wanted. Having experienced the separation, now coming back into oneness, it's all the more valuable and treasured and held tightly. Right? Jesus says this basically same thing when the guy comes to him and says, what's the greatest commandment? And this guy was being respectful, by the way. Okay? I, we know who you are. 
So what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? And he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Is, equally, is it equally important that you love your neighbor as yourself as that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Is it? Because I don't think so. I do not. But I'm wrong. Do you see it? For him, he's saying that equally is ju is just, it's just as important to do this, and we're going to see this all in a little bit later. But I just want you to get a hold of this thing that Jesus is doing. Do you see the relationship that he's calling us to? I want you to do something. Pull out your packets here. Okay? Pull this out. And, and open it up and go to the outreach one, which is back here. Contact, uh, the contact information is on the right hand. See the one that says outreach? I'm just going to read this to you. This is taking it from a slightly different angle. When you think of outreach, what comes to mind? International missions and our large church efforts to help our community? Is that what you, when we say we're going to do outreach as a church, what do we mean? We're going to, you know, pass out flowers, or we're going to do some bouncy houses out in the parking lot, or we're going to do something before, you know, Halloween or Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever, right? Outreach, big church events or missions. Lake Sam does these vital things with a passion. Internationally, we create two-way superhighways between our missionaries and us so that it's, it's as if you are serving right there with them. Now, now, understand what I just said right there. What I said is, is usually missions is something that a church gives to, and then a missions committee supports and they have a relationship with the missionaries but the church, the people in the church that aren't on the missions committee do not and we realize that that's not what God intended he wanted us to be in relationship with the missionary not only did he want us to be in relationship with the missionary but here's our missions goal here's the real goal of it we want you to become so connected with Chris and Sue and what they do we want to become so connected with them that you not only know them but you know the people that they're ministering to, at least some of them. You have an actual relationship with the people. And here's the thing. You don't have to go on a mission trip even to do that. Skype and all these things. There's all kinds of ways of doing that in today's world. Where you can get deeply connected with somebody that is a person that they're ministering to in their ministry. Now you're in missions. And how's it being done? Relationally, not program. See it? It's being done on the right basis, on the right foundation. So with that said, uh, locally we partner with Jubilee Reach to impact our community in incredible ways. We have many people that, have, that are, go to this church that have worked there. Uh, we have, you know, we, we try and create as many relationships as we can. And the, the ministry that we do from there is not as part of a program. It is to connect with people directly to serve teachers at Stevenson, for example. But what if outreach, the kind that God has in mind, isn't those kinds of things at all? What if it's actually just relationships? What if outreach, what if when God says outreach, he means have a relationship? You know, the thing that you were made to do. God gives us family, friends, coworkers, and neighbors, not to sell him to them, Right? If the reason why you have a relationship with somebody is because they're going to come to Christ and then they don't come to Christ after three weeks and then you abandon them, was it ever a real relationship? I mean, it's multi-level marketing. Right? 
Okay, and then, by the way, if you're in that, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think you can do everything wrong and everything right. Right? I think you can do anything right, except maybe murder. I don't know, maybe you do that. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Rather to love them with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength while being ready as needed, as God would do, because God's the one who does it. As needed to tell them about the hope in us. First Peter. Something they have already seen when we truly love them. If you truly love somebody, you truly love them. You love them with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. How do they feel about you? Not every time. But in general, if somebody really loves you, what's the sort of normal reaction? If you are loved, you love back. If you are cared for, you care back. If the person is really out for you, even to the point of them laying down their own life for you, they know you care. You see it? So let me ask it this way. What if when we think of outreach and evangelism, we quit thinking of all the other things we think of, international missions and big church outreaches, or some guy standing on a box on a street corner handing out tracts? What if we got all of those things out of our mind and we started understanding that here's what God means when he says evangelism, good news, outreach? What if what he has in mind is two friends over a cup of coffee? What if when God says outreach and evangelism, what he has in mind is a family? People that you're in relationship with already, the people that you love. I realize that not all families are filled with, over, you know, but they can be. My family was headed, I think we probably always would have loved each other, but we probably would have had distance because we were five boys, all of us, the, the furthest distance between any one being a year and three months, which by the way, you can send my mom flowers for that, okay? But the point is, is that I think that we could have ended up very easily being very disconnected. And in fact, when we were younger, with the, when the testosterone, testosterone was really flying high, we would be in meetings with each other about investments and so on that we were making and my dad they were so bad that my dad said I cannot go to them anymore I cannot stand to see what you guys do to each other and we were all Christians and it was yelling and cussing and the whole horrible thing but then God started actually making us Christians and we started loving each other in a whole different way than you do just even as family and now we have a monthly call every month because we're scattered all over the country. And we have a monthly call every month and it's one of the things I look forward to more than and all of us do. And we do things together and we, we try and meet and go help but dad with putting up wood. And, but that's just an excuse for us all to get together and laugh and do all these kinds of things. I, I got to tell you, I'm sorry, I'm going to tell you one real quick story. So we're putting up wood for my dad. The five boys are there. And I'm the whitest haired of all of them but they're all right there with me. And my dad, he hops in the Suburban and he's going to take us into the park to go to a place where we're going to have lunch. So we all hop in the back of the Suburban and one person's in the front and we get to the gate and the gal at the gate says, it's kind of late, there's a little ice on the road. If you run into problems, you know, just call us back here. And my dad says, oh no, he says, I don't have to worry about that. He says, I got all these young bucks in the back. <laughs> and my brother Chip, who is hilarious, they all are. But my brother Chip says, 
have you looked back here lately? <laughs> he said, this isn't young bucks. This is a bunch of guys escaping from the old folks home. <laughs> Sorry. I love my brothers. And if one of them didn't know the Lord, right? Now, you, they can reject you, and you want to reject them back. But don't let that happen. Take up the cross. Take upon yourself the hurt. Coworkers, being in genuine relationship with coworkers. Neighbors, what if when God says evangelism and outreach, what if it wasn't just that he's saying be nice to your neighbor? And it's not just that he was saying, hey, establish a relationship with them so that maybe they get saved. That feels a little manipulative, right? What if what God did was he put you in a certain place to be by a certain person because he knew that you could reach that certain person. And all he was asking you to do was to do what you were made to do, and that's become friends. What if outreach for God is the same word as friendship? Real friendship, not manipulative friendship, actual love them friendship. What if that's what he means by outreach? Because after all, if he's the one doing it, all he's asking you to do is to do what you were made to be, right? What if, what if evangelism isn't this at all? I'm sure those two guys are well-meaning, and I'm sure that they're really wonderful people, so I don't mean to criticize them. But what if that is not what God means by outreach and evangelism? What if instead what he means is what Peter said right here in our soap? Remember I told you, if you'll read your soap, God will talk to you, and he's taking you on a journey. And one of the reasons, I, whatever Bible study you're doing, fine, go ahead and do it. But I really love it when people are doing soap because the fact is God is talking to us about the same thing that he's talking to us about the sermons all the time through soap. This, was this Wednesday or Tuesday? I, was, I think this was Wednesday, I can't remember. Peter says, if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. What does that sound like? Be a good person. <laughs> Be nice. If someone asks you, you know, in this particular context, he's talking about people that are persecuting you. And what he's saying is, is be respectful. No, they're persecuting me. No, be respectful. Be loving. Be gentle. When they say, why are you like that, you can answer and you say, because I was at odds with God and he did something for me that made a huge difference in my life. He changed my heart. And now I have a heart for you. Always be ready to speak to the hope that's in you. Which in the end, let's just be clear, the first thing, what's the foundation of the wellspring of outreach? He's the one who brings them to himself. That's the first thing we got to remember. He's the only one that can. And the second thing that we've now established is all he asks for you is to connect with others relationally. And whether an introvert or an extrovert, the very thing that he made us to do. We're social beings. What if that's what outreach and evangelism is? What if that's it? Now it turns out, thank God, that that's not all of it. Because there is one more step. 
as the Holy Spirit says through Paul in the book of Corinthians, one of the books we're using for our series. Now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. I almost use a different translation on it. Let me show you a better way. But I like the best of all because it is the best of all. Let me show you a better way. Because it's really good to know that he's the one doing it. Doesn't that sort of take some pressure off of you, take some fear out of you if he actually is the one doing it? And if all you're really supposed to do is just be making connection, and then whenever he would want to do something, it's up to him, but you just be ready and be willing to be used by him. Does that take some pressure off of you? So what I promised you in the introduction, I said, what if you started realizing that outreach was just natural? Is making friends natural? Is it? When you're going to Starbucks with a friend... Do you look forward to it or fear it? Both? Did somebody say both? <laughs> what kind of friends are you talking about here? Now, sometimes you may be going to coffee with somebody, and you may be, like, having to talk to them about something that you don't really want to talk to them about, and you may have some fear and trepidation, but guess what doesn't happen with us for the most part? We don't not go to coffee because we're afraid. Even if there's something to be afraid about, the relationship overpowers it. We want to be one with them, so we go ahead and be one with them, right? Don't we? That's for the most part. But we're still not quite home. What if there's a yet better way to think about outreach and evangelism, a deeper way? Paul says, let me show you a, a way of life that's best of all. Right in the middle, by the way, of chapter 13 and chapter 14, chapter 12 and chapter 14. What if what, what, if what he's, that, those are two chapters that have to do with moving in power, the Holy Spirit moving through you, right? 13 is all about that, 14 is all about that. But right in the middle of it, as if seeing to the heart of it, as if he's saying, what's the wellspring supposed to be? What's the thing that's supposed to be coming from it? If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but don't have love, but didn't love others, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, if I understand all God's secret plans and possess all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Why would he have gained nothing? Because God is love. That's the most fundamental thing. Thank you for this great congregation getting that a long time ago. God is love. That's not an abstract statement. It doesn't, it doesn't say God is loving. It said God, ontologically, sorry for the word, Ontologically, it means in his being, in his essence, is love. What does that mean? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a relationship of oneness. That's love. And what he says is, we love because he loved. When he loves us, we feel it. And when we feel it, we go, that feels good. That feels better. Whatever it was I was doing before, this love, this is new. As a young man, before I knew Christ, I was an extrovert and I had a lot of friends. And I could say that I loved people. And I would say that most people understood I didn't like a lot of people. But, you know, there were 
whatever, right? But the people that I liked, the people that were my friends, they felt loved, and I think they loved me back, and, right? So there was this kind of thing going on. But when all of a sudden God saved me, I discovered a kind of love that I had never understood before in my entire life. And I have to say, from the moment at 19 years old, when God started loving me, my life has been a pretty much steady climb to the point that there, I, you know, really, when I was younger, there were people I didn't like. I was just at, at lunch yesterday with two people, and it was just so fun and awesome, and it was just wonderful, and thank you, God, for it. And we were just enjoying each other and everything else, but God showed up, and he, and he did some stuff. And it was just awesome. And that's, by the way, ministry is the same as outreach, right? Most people are not afraid to minister. Outreach is no different. It's just showing up and being there. And when God does something, you respond. You just be his instrument, whether it's for ministry or whether it's for outreach. They're the same exact thing. But what I want to say is I said something when I was with him, and I, I, it's something that's been in me lately that's really been kind of almost bugging me, except not in a bad way. I don't think there's anybody I don't like in the world. I really don't. I can't, I, I said it wouldn't be, a, I could count on one hand how many people I don't like. But I said, honestly, if I think about it really hard right now, I can't think of anybody on that list. Not one single person. Now, can I just say something to you? That doesn't mean that everybody's been nice to me. Can you imagine in my position things that people have said to me about various things that have hurt me deeply, total misunderstanding in my motives, in my belief, and so on. I mean, things have happened, right? And things happen in life. By the way, let's be clear. I've done things to other people. I've done things that they should not like me at all. Right? But I have to say something. God has got a hold of my heart. God has got a hold of my heart to the point that, honest to God, you know, before you, Lord, if I'm wrong, Help me know where I'm wrong and get it right. But I don't think that there's anybody, not only that I don't like, but honest to goodness now, I don't think there's anybody that I don't love. And I don't mean love with a little reservation or a tough love. or a, I, I mean flat out love. I honestly cannot think of one person in, that's hurt me, not hurt me, that I've hurt, not I don't think there's anybody. I, I, I was at a volleyball game. Those who know me know that I say I love you a lot. And when I first say that, I think a lot of people think, well, that's just, he just says that, and it's kind of a pastoral thing, and it's just like him saying goodbye and so on. It's not that. If you know me, you know that it's not that. You know that, honest to goodness, I really do love you. I'm at a volleyball, or a basketball practice, and there's a bunch of guys, and, you know, I uh, just, I've all, you know, volleyball and basketball, those kind of sports are the greatest evangelism places in the world, because it's about friendships. And so I get to be friends with these guys, and none of them know the Lord. One of them came to the Lord and was a, Tony Campbell was a really, really great member of here until they moved to Iowa, and I miss him terribly. But, um, but this is one of the reasons why Tony had just come to the Lord, but this is one of the reasons that really taught him what Christianity was. Because there's another guy, and I won't use his name just because, and, and it, we're sort of like, it's like Tony's sitting here, and I'm sitting here, and the guy's sitting here, and another guy's sitting here, and we're all just talking and having fun and everything else. And the other guy's got to leave, and he was, he's going down bleachers. We're sitting up on bleachers, so he's got to go like this, right? He's got to walk down like this, okay? That's what he was doing, right? Walking in front of us. So, so he said, I got to go, guys. So everybody said goodbye. And then just not really remembering the situation that I was in, you know what I mean? Is, is I, he, he went like this. I got to get my foot right. He, he went like this, and then I said, I love you, and he went... 
he literally stopped right in mid-step on the step. And I can't stand up anymore straight, but he could. He was in good, better shape. But, but he, just, he just stopped right in the middle, and he looked forward. He didn't even look at me. And everybody was just, it was like dead silent. Everybody was like, that's not what you say to guys, okay, particularly guys that don't know God. And he just stopped. And then he kind of looked at me and went, yeah. <laughs> what if what we're supposed to be known for is love? God is love. That's what he wants to be known for. What if what he wants to be known for is love? What if he wants us to be known for love? When you love somebody, I mean you love somebody to the point where Jesus says, I'm giving you a new command. Remember we read the two greatest commandments of old? But you do remember that Jesus came and says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Don't just love each other as yourself. I'm telling you, love each other as I've loved you. What does that mean? I laid down my life for you. Lay down your life for people. Be willing to lay down your life for people. Be willing to walk away from everything that you care about and that's important to you so that you can walk in the way that he wants you to walk, which is his love for them. If you ever have a problem loving somebody, there's the simplest way to fix that that you could ever imagine, no matter how bad it's been. Ask God what he sees in them that makes him love them. And keep asking until he tells you. Because the, the minute that he tells you, the minute that he tells you how he sees them that makes him love them, being him, having his nature in you, you will fall in love with them. And is there anybody in here, when you really love somebody, that wouldn't give your own life to save them? Even if they were being harmful to you, if you knew that giving your life would cause them to repent, to turn, and to come back to God, wouldn't you give your life for them? Is there anybody that you wouldn't do that for? The answer is truthfully yes. There's a lot of people you wouldn't do that for. But here's the truth in God. If you really fall in love with people, really fall in love with them, you'll do anything. Which is why the Holy Spirit through Paul says this about evangelism and outreach. If you use the gifts of God in a way that puffs yourself up, if you're, if you're doing things like making yourself more special because I'm a special healer, or because I get words of knowledge, or because I'm a prophet, or because, as was happening in Corinthians most likely, two people were talking to each other in tongues and pretending as if they understood each other, when Paul comes along in chapter 14 at the beginning and says, nobody understands it, knock it off, you're being stupid. But now watch what he says about exactly that. If unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and they hear everybody speaking in tongues, we'll, they'll think you're crazy. And he's saying they're right. You are. You're wrong. But if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they'll, because it's prophecy, because you're speaking something that's from the Lord for them, because why is God bringing them into you? Why did God empower you in the first place? What was the point of it? You remember Jesus? He was empowered to do what? Minister. You remember the disciples? They were empowered to do what? Minister. 
That means bring people to him. Reconcile people to him. If you're doing this right, they don't understand they come in your meeting, but then they do understand what you said. They're convicted of sin, judged by what you say. They listen. Their secret thoughts will be exposed. They'll fall on their knees, worship God, and declare, God is truly here among you. God, who is love, loves them. And he's bringing them to you even if you don't know them. And if you will love them, if that will be your orientation, then just, is there anything better than love? Tell me, what's better than love? Being really rich? I've been pretty rich, not really rich, but I've been pretty rich. Love is much better than being pretty rich. Everybody who's ever been really rich will tell you really fast that love is a lot better than that. And that one of the problems with being really rich is, is that you never know what they are. Because are they, getting some, are they trying to get something out of you or do they love you for you? There's nothing better than love. It is the most fundamental thing that we've been created to do. And what if it turns out that evangelism is nothing more than just loving? What if to be his follower, you take up your cross, which is to say lay down any hurts and lay down any offenses and lay down all of your agenda and everything else so the cross that you pick up is being Christ-like, which means that you love. So that number three on this list is love. I'm going to ask you to do something. On your chairs is the little, uh, this thing right here. See it? Take this out. This is, you know, stop and pray. This is the new version of stop and pray. We keep changing it because what we expect, what we want you to do is take this home. Put it right by the door that you go out of, whether it's your garage door to your car or put it also by the door that you would walk out of to go to a neighbor's house or whatever. Put it by the door wherever you go. And then we're changing it up. We change it up every once in a while in order so that it not becomes so regular that you forget to see it. This is yield and pray. And what we want you to do is when we see that, we want you to yield, which is giving to God. Right? Nice, right? So stop, yield. And then what you do is, Lord, who do you want me to reach out to? Ask him to show you. Ask him to speak to you. If you need one, raise your hands. And they'll be all over the tables and so on. And here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to take this thing and turn it over. And in front of you is a pen in that thing. And while the musicians come up here, I'm going to pray in a second and we're going to take communion. But before you leave today, would you take a moment and would you ask the Lord who he's laid on your heart? And would you write it on the back of this yield sign and then put it up on that door at your house, at your work if you can. Some people work in an environment where you couldn't do something like this on the door. Don't do that. I'm not asking you to break the laws of your company. Okay? But you see what I am doing? I want you to have hidden but to you the name of somebody that is incredibly important to you. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And let him put somebody on your heart. And maybe it's one or two people. I kind of prefer one, maybe two, not, not ten. You can't, you can't keep ten in your heart. Who are the people that he's calling you to? Maybe there is some difference. Maybe there's some issue. Maybe there's some separation. You can overcome that. 
Write it down. Treasure it in your heart. Have it behind that yield sign. And when you're asking him in general who you want to, who we want you to reach out to as you go out, remember that person too and start praying for them every single day. Every time you walk by that sign, pray in general that God would make you a sensitive instrument of his, but pray in specific for that person. Sound like a deal? Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name. You are magnificent. You are surpassing. You are glorious. In your holy and precious name, we lift you up and we ask you. God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, teach us. God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, show us. Whenever we think of evangelism ever again, whenever we think of outreach ever again, don't let us think about ourselves how we're not qualified, what they might say, all the other nonsense. Have us think about that all you're asking us to do is love them. In Jesus' holy and precious name, God, make us into your image. Conform us to your image. Make us ones who love everybody so that we can see immediately who you're drawing us to.